You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. I want to talk for just a couple minutes about... Uh, what we're about as a church. You'll see it on the signs over there. We have a statement that we use, and it says, we exist to share the good news as spiritual family for holistic transformation. And what that is, is it begins to describe a bit about our name. So if you want to know what we're about, the first thing to look at, it's not on the screen, is our name. The word jubilee, although I won't go into it, and there's a, on our website there's audio you can listen to and things you can read for what jubilee means. But basically, it's a statement that means that God wants to make things right again. God has another dream for the world, kind of like what we're putting on the board. God has his own dream, and he wants to make the world right. And in the Bible, that concept, that idea is called jubilee. He wants to make my life whole. Not just right and wrong in terms of right, but whole. As it should be, as it could be. And so, looking at our name, our primary desire is that that idea of jubilee would come to Montreal. It would come first, you know, I am in Montreal. It would come to me and to you. It would come to our city. So that Montreal would be made whole, be made right. The way that that works practically, a little more practically at least, is that every day we share the good news as spiritual family for holistic transformation. And within that phrase, there's three uh, ideas or values, good news, spiritual family, and holistic transformation. And this is really what we're about, good news. Jesus, uh, if you know anything about him, used this phrase, uh, good news, often. He said that my message is good news, okay? Uh, Or you might know the word gospel, which is just an old English word and way of saying good news. And so often, I think, in our culture and around the world, Christianity has been seen, experienced, communicated as negative, oppressive, controlling, outdated, judgmental. And we just find that that's actually not the message of Jesus himself. It might be Christianity, but it's not the message of Jesus himself. And so what we're about is that Jesus and having a relationship with God is actually good news for your life. It's positive. It's life-changing. It's not those things, although those things might be known as Christianity. Secondly, we're about spiritual family. So that means that church to us, although you are in an event, is not primarily an event, but it's a family. And so what that means is, you know, we've all had different experiences of church, maybe. Some negative, some maybe positive. Maybe your story's different than Angelica. Maybe you've been in a church all your life and it's positive. Maybe you have no idea what this is and it's a bit weird. What we believe it is, it's primarily a community of people. And we're a family, which means that we are not primarily about, and this might seem a bit odd, agreeing about beliefs. We're not a community of people that all believe exactly the same thing. It's a safe place to struggle and to think. I mean, I'm going to say things up here, or other people will, and you are under no obligation to agree with me. In fact, I don't assume that you agree with me. And I don't assume, actually, that it's primarily about you agreeing with what I say. I'll talk more about that. But what we are first is a family. And so what then does unite us is that we're all on this journey together toward God in the way of Jesus, which we'll talk about. We are all on this journey toward good news, toward change, toward transformation, together. And that's messy. And for some people, it's not going to look as clean as Angelica looks today saying all this stuff. You know? But if you knew the actual story, it's much messier than she makes it. She didn't tell you any of the details. But that's okay. That's, that's, what, that's what we are. That's what we're here for. So spiritual family means that primarily we want to be a family wrestling through these things together, caring for one another. And I know not everybody has a positive view or experience of family, so I hope that in some way, even though we're broken too, that this might be a redemptive place for you as well. It has been for me for sure. I'm going to cry again. (laughs) 
Um, and lastly, uh, the value is holistic transformation. And this is really our goal. It's really what we're about at the end of the day. And in some ways, we just talk about it, but I hope it really becomes exactly what we're about. You'll notice that around here, things are pretty simple. Okay, the guitar's not even plugged in. It's simple. And, and things might become a little less simple over time, and there might be more things here, but we're going to keep it pretty simple. And that's because the point is not this. If you came here, you certainly didn't come here for a show. Right? There's better places to go in the city for shows. But what we're about is we call it holistic transformation. What this means is that you might, be, that you might experience some kind of transformation on the inside of your life. And that's what we're really about is inner transformation, first of all. That means what it looks like is that I experience inside, in a deep place at the core of who I am, I begin to change. My behavior might not change, which is, again, why we have to be a family, why, we have to, why everything can be messy. It's not primarily about changing your behavior here, but that I might change on the inside. And the image in Scripture often is that there's like, for a, a true human being who is full of life and healthy and connected with God, there, there's like a well inside of them that's overflowing with water. And so that's transformation, that you would feel that over time that there is, like, that there is life in you, and that that water would spill over into your life, and your behavior will probably change. It will change. But it won't be because you have to do it, and it won't be a religious thing. In fact, you'll probably still feel in many ways broken. You'll still feel humble. You'll feel at peace. But your behavior will change, and you'll have no judgment toward people whose behavior doesn't change. Because you, you didn't come at it changing your behavior. You came at it experiencing a transformation on the inside. We call it holistic, which means that it changes everything. It transforms everything. So we believe that God's not only interested in your inner spiritual life. He's not only interested that I know him, but he's interested in changing the whole world. This is why we do something like have a march to show solidarity with, with missing and murdered indigenous women. It's, and this is just one little example, and we're just marching, and it's just, you know, it's not, what are we really doing? But... God cares about things like this. God has no dichotomy between that we should care about the, the, the inner person and that we shouldn't care about people who are marginalized or the city in general. God cares about it all. And we have no kind of more important, less important. It's all important. That's what holistic transformation means, that God would change me on the inside, that it would spill out into my life, that other people would be able to drink from that water, would be able to experience transformation themselves. And then that would ripple out and the city would change. So you'll hear us talk a lot about transformation. And it's, it'll be different. Sometimes it'll be about the inside, and it will be in just a second I'm going to talk about it. It'll be the inside. And other times we'll talk very frankly and, and forwardly about what, should it, what would a city look like that is transformed and changed, and how do we live practically that would help that. What about rules? It's about love. So you don't have to do anything. There are no requirements here. Other than you just open your heart. You just let it in. You just let yourself go on a journey. You let yourself experience it. Ask your questions. Be as honest as Angelica was. She's much more honest than that, too, where she was telling them that she didn't believe it. Be honest. What we're doing here, there's, it won't look exactly like it does today, but there will always be music. There will always be people. There will always be coffee, probably. We really simplify it. And then uh, there will be some kind of person speaking. Okay, so people call it a sermon, a message, a talk. It'll always be on a passage of the Bible, and it'll always have to do in some way with, with, with God transforming us through Jesus. Okay? That's what I'm going to do here for just a, just a few minutes. And uh, I want to say, too, that the, the point of this times we share from the Bible, I want you, there's going to be times where I or someone else will explain things, and, it, and I'm going to do it in just a second. It's going to feel maybe a little academic, like I'm going to try to explain what something means. That's not the primary purpose of this, though. 
I don't just want you to understand with your mind what's going on or agree or disagree. That's part of the process, of course. But they would just open your heart. You know, just in t- if, if this is all you do, if your only experience of God or of this, this community or anything is coming here on a Sunday, the best thing that you can do is just rest. Just let yourself listen. Just let yourself find a place of peace, of comfort, of rest before you go back out into the city. Because there's a lot of things that are keeping us from rest, from peace, and from really being who we were made to be, who you were made to be. Everything in life is, a, is an opportunity to grow, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to have a relationship with God. It's hard to be at peace. It's hard to be at rest. And so if that's it, that's fine. Come here, sit, just open your heart and just find a... Find a place of rest. I hope that makes sense. Um, what the Quiet Revolution is about, this is a series that we'll be doing through the fall. And uh, it has to do with that question of, is, is it really good news? I'm saying it's good news. You don't have to believe me. But is it really good news? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, there's a, there's a book in the Bible, a section of the Bible, called Luke. And a, a guy named Luke wrote this account of his experience with Jesus. And we're going to look at passages from Luke in which Jesus himself is quoted, talking, teaching. And we're going to look at what did Jesus teach, actually? I know, I know what Christianity is about, I guess, or what people talk about, Jesus is about, or God is about, or church is about. But let's just go back and let's wrestle with some of the things that Jesus said, which are actually, some of them are quite difficult for Christian people as well. Um, there is no us and them. Jesus kind of, as we talked about last week, Jesus has a message that pierces everybody. It, will, it hits me today. Um, so a quiet revolution of love, we'll look at that. Is God really about love? Is, he really, is this really what he's after, or is it not? Uh, the reason we t- take the phrase quiet revolution is if you have any uh, idea of the history of Quebec, there was a period of time in the history of our province in which, among many other rapid changes, the, the, the people that were here, which was predominantly Catholic, although that's not the point, left the Catholic Church en masse. We're talking like... For how those kinds of things happen in culture changes, it was overnight. And people finally found the freedom to leave something that they felt was oppressive. You heard it in Angelica's story, actually. As soon as I went to Canada, I'm free. I don't have to be a part of this anymore. And so I don't think it's totally a negative thing, because if someone's experiencing something and is controlling and negative, I think you should leave. Okay, so people left en masse. But the question is, did they leave Christianity? As Christianity really is. It's not about Catholic or not Catholic. It's just about whatever they were experiencing and being taught and what was the environment there. Were they experiencing what Jesus had in mind or were they not? And so what we dream about is that there would be another quiet revolution, an underground type of thing that changes people's hearts where the real message of Jesus gets in and kind of spreads that fast just like that. So that's what the quiet revolution is about. Each week, 10.30 a.m., we'll be here talking about that. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can open it. Not many people carry those things. Uh, if you have a cell, a cell phone with an app, you can download that if you want another time. But it's in the Gospel of Luke. Okay. And we're going to look at chapter 3. And this is an odd passage. It's probably the weirdest passage. Well, not the weirdest passage for sure, but it's, a, it's an odd passage for me to speak on today. And I don't think many people would choose it, but I think there's something that God has for us here today. I'm going to just set it up a bit, the context of what's going on in the story, just so you get it. So try to pay attention to this part. The, the, the Gospel of Luke is Luke's story about Jesus. And he begins the story, by a first-hand account, by telling about how Jesus was born and how that happened and where he comes from. And then talking a little bit about his childhood, but not much. And then he gets to this section, chapter 3, in which Jesus is an adult. 
which is really how he knows him, right? And so the rest of this book for the next 20 or so chapters is, is his relationship with Jesus from the age of 30. Jesus is about 30 in this story. He's about 33, but if you know anything about it, Jesus died and uh, rose again. At least the story says so. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21, says, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Now, so just before this, this is the part of context. There's an odd character in, in this story named John the Baptist, which uh, Ben looks sort of like him, if you know Ben. He's in this room here. Um, so if you want an image, he's something like Ben. So Ben doesn't mind that I say that. So, so John was an odd guy. And if you really read, this, read the story again and again, he's very strange. Uh, but he's, he's actually Jesus' cousin, and this guy's a sort of prophet, meaning he's convinced that he has this message from God for the world. And he's a very radical guy. So what he would do is, the city's over there. He decided to leave the city, go out into the wilderness. He, he wears clothes he made himself. He eats food he finds out there. And he has this, this pretty intense message that people need to change their life. This guy catches on a bit. The message catches on, and people, obviously, they're looking for a change. They start coming out to the wilderness, okay? And what he does is he has, the, his message is basically this, although you can read it. It's just before what I'm reading today. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. John the Baptist believes that, that the religion of his day, he's a Jew, okay? The Judaism of the day, the point is not Judaism, it's just think about it in terms of religion. The religion of the day, which was everywhere, just like Catholicism or Christianity in the past here, was pervasive. It's broken. That's his message. It's, it's filled with hypocrisy. Maybe you've heard this before. <laughs> it's filled with hypocrisy. It's a problem. If you really want to know God, you need to come out of that. This is why he's out in the wilderness, okay? He's calling people out of the city. John the Baptist, we won't go through this, but he's later killed. He's beheaded because they don't like his message. Because he, he finally calls out somebody with power, and then they arrest him and chop his head off. So, but he's calling people out. He says, leave, and what he invites them to is to leave the, the, their, their experience of religion they've had. And what he says is that, of course, the religion is all about right and wrong. But what he says is they're, they're actually not even following it. They're hypocrites. And if you read the story, it's clear that's what he's calling them. So when he tells them what you should do, he basically says, you know, if you're, if you're stealing from people, you should stop stealing from people. If you're doing this, you should stop doing that. You're saying that you believe God, that you're his child, that you look nothing like him. And so he's saying that what's going to happen is someone's going to come. God's going to send someone to bring jubilee to the world, this concept of jubilee we're talking about. He's going to bring jubilee to the world, and you need to get ready for that guy to come. He's coming. Change your life. Realize that the religion that you're in is broken. It doesn't work. This might be kind of a weird idea to you, but read the story. It's broken. It doesn't work. Come out here. So what does he invite them to do is this odd thing of baptism. Okay? Baptism is a common thing in the culture here. And they would, these Jewish people would do it often. And what it would mean is, I want to make a change in my life, let's say. Let's, and it can be for many reasons. They would do it often. I have, you know, let's say I've done something terrible. The way that I'm going to deal with that is one way I might do it is I might, I might, I might be baptized. Baptism is literally I would go into some water. In this case, they're, they're usually in a, in a river or a sea. And someone's going to take me and dip me underwater in, in one way or another, and then I'm going to come back up. And that's what it is. It's, a, it's kind of a ceremony type thing, especially for John the Baptist. But it's a picture of what he's asking them to do. He's asking them, going into the water, especially in the times that the Bible was written, was, was equal to drowning or death. Okay? So it's a very powerful symbol that they're doing. Go under the water, die. And when you come back out, you're coming out of the water as a new person. 
So you can see, if I did something terrible, I, I can go do this. There's something kind of comforting about it, you know? It's kind of final. Like, I come back out, and I'm gone. What was before is done, and I'm going to go on toward my new future. Well, what he's asking them to do is to come and let him baptize them. And what they're dying to is they're dying to their old way of life. They have to come out of the religion that they've been in. They need to die to it, and they need to come forward into this new kind of faith, which he just explains as, basically to him, really a relationship with God, where you actually, your life looks like what you say you believe. So John the Baptist is, is a totally against hypocrisy, which is funny because the church is known for that. But he's very much against hypocrisy. And so he calls them. Now here's the weird part. This story picks up. There's this odd guy out here doing this. Jesus himself comes and he says, when all the people were baptized, there's many people, you can read the story, they come out, they're asking him to be baptized. Um, Jesus wants him to baptize them too. Why? Jesus is already somewhat of an interesting guy to people. Okay, um, you can even tell that John the Baptist, being his cousin later in the story, thinks that there's something special about Jesus, and Jesus humbles himself in a way, even to come and and let this really crazy-looking guy do this thing to him. He submits to him in a way, right? When he comes out and says, "Okay, I I believe what you're saying. I'll do it." But why does Jesus do it? Well, it seems like what Jesus is saying, who Jesus grows up as a Jew, he is a Jewish person, comes out here. And he, he's, it's a very radical thing. He says, I want you to baptize me because I want to die to the, to the Jewish religion of my people. Now, I don't mean that he's not a Jew. What I mean is the Judaism of his day is broken. Because when Jesus sides with John the Baptist, he's, he's automatically not siding with the established religion of the day. Because John the, John the Baptist was not looked at fondly by the Jewish leaders. If, if that seems weird to you, Jesus was killed by the Jewish leaders later on and others, kind of all together. So it's not odd to think that, you know, he was a problem for them. But Jesus elects to be baptized by him. And so the message of Jesus, the part I want you to get now, we're coming back around to the text. The part I want you to get is Jesus has, has decided very specifically, and Luke thinks it's super important to tell you, that the first thing he does is Jesus identifies with this marginal guy who says that the religion of the day is broken and that we need to die to it to be raised again to have an actual relationship with God. So Jesus' message, because his ministry and, and the things that Jesus starts speaking, hasn't done anything yet, okay? Jesus has not given a sermon. He's not taught anybody. He's not done a miracle that we know of, nothing. He just wants to first do this thing where he says to all the people around that are there to watching him, and you've got to enter in the story and understand what this means for the people, that Jesus is doing this dangerous thing and saying, I'm going to join this kind of counter-movement. The answer is not in the city. The answer is not in... The religious people of the day, it's not in the governing authorities, it's not in any of this. My message is coming from this place of outside of the religious system. So that's the first thing, is, is this idea that is Jesus about religion or not? Jesus was, a, was, was, whatever you define religion as, Jesus made religious people very angry. And it begins here. It begins with siding with a guy who one, one passage later is executed by the leaders. Of the, of the city. And so Jesus is baptized too, and then I keep it up where I always lose that thing. Hmm. I have a series of books. It's probably in my pocket, but we'll find it later. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. If you can, maybe this makes sense to you. Maybe this story seems a bit weird to you if, if you're new to all this. Take the imagery as you will for a moment. That a dove's coming from heaven, the Holy Spirit as a dove and lands on him. Let me just try to explain what's going on. The Holy Spirit as, as here 
is, is the way that the Bible describes God's spirit. We all have a spirit. We all have an inner identity, an inner core, who we really are, whatever you want to call it. The Bible calls it spirit. Okay? And he says that the way they refer to God is his Holy Spirit. God is a spirit, his core identity, who he is, all that he is inside. This thing comes on Jesus, it says, in the form of a dove. Okay? And people can see this, it seems. And then the next phrase. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I do have notes, but I guess we'll just leave them here. Hey, there it is. Um, a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Here's the point, because I'm not going to go very long. Look at the picture that's happening here. Jesus, it's all very intentional. Jesus comes out here. He, he goes into the water, dying to the religion of his people. Jesus is, Jesus is always an example to us, okay? He's more than that, but he's an example to us of what a human being was made to be. Okay, this is one part of who Jesus is. It's key to understand. When you look at him, you're always looking at what he says human beings were made to be like. Not to try to be like, okay? Not to act like him. But he's saying, this is what you were made to be like. Your life is to look like this. And so, a voice comes from heaven, you are my son, in whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Jesus goes in the water, dying to the religion of the day, and rises out. And immediately what happens in the story is this voice comes. You're my son, the son whom I love. I'm pleased with you. What's that mean? It's easy to kind of go through these verses quickly, but I want you to catch for the people and for Jesus what's happening is that it's setting the stage for everything we're going to talk about. It's setting the stage for Jesus' ministry, for what Christianity is about. If you want to know what it's about, this is a very good place to just feel it a bit. Christianity, Jesus' message, is not about the dominant religion. It's not about religion. Okay? It's not about the systems that we set up to try to connect with God. It's not, and, we, and there's, we're always fighting against this. Even, even church has some kind of systems where we, we try to like box God in from 1030 to 1230. You know? and it doesn't work like that. We know that. It doesn't work like that. But he says, if the answer is not that, what does Jesus come out of the water into? Right? Jesus gives them the answer in a way. God gives them the answer, even John the Baptist, I think. He dies to the religion of the day, and he comes out. But the answer is this. God says, you're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Jesus is trying to show us that this is what he's doing. What he's doing is he's, he's, Jesus is an example to us that human beings that you you were made to kind of take this place, to come out of, and this is the invitation, to come out of any kind of religious performance, to, to die to any kind of trying to, to, to be a Christian or to figure it out or to, to know God or even, you know, let's not even make it about that, to do life well, to, to find meaning in life. You heard Angelica talk about it, and I'm, I live this today, to find, to, find, to find your own meaning in your life, to construct a reality for yourself, to succeed Right? To succeed well, to prove your life. Life is so short. So it really matters what it's about. Life is so short, I was reminded last night for some reason, that it really matters that we understand what life is about. And more than that, we feel what life is about. Not just about afterlife. It's about the fact that if life has a purpose, that we should probably find it. And what this, the passage is saying in after is that you were made to experience this kind of thing. You were made that God is not interested in the religion of the day. God is very patient, so he will put up with whatever you do and whatever we do for any length of time. I don't even know how long it lasts. But what he's interested in is telling you that you're his daughter or your son, and he loves you, and he's pleased with you. 
Now, I know this because in Genesis chapter 1, I won't turn out, I think it's verse 27, it says that God, is the story of how God made the world. Let's tell you quickly, we'll talk about it some other time. God makes the world and he, he makes human beings, it says, in his image. In, the image, in his own image, he made them male and female. He made them. This is beautiful and important. I wish I could talk about it too. But God loves men and women equally. He made them equally. And humanity doesn't exist, not just because of procreation. Humanity doesn't exist in God's eyes without women because then there would be no image. There would be no God, image of God. The world would be awful, not just because we, literally it wouldn't work, but because it's not how God made it. So God makes men and women in his image, and he says, and he's, and he's so pleased with it, okay? He loves it. If you read the story, the story, if you read it, is like a father, in a weird way, giving birth to children. And he loves it, and it's good, and he says, just like I have a daughter who's made in my image, right? She literally is made in my image. God says, I make people in my image. Read the passage, it's beautiful. There are, it's, it's this thing of a loving relationship that he creates out of, it's not clear why, other than that he wants to. You know, like a father that wants to have kids, that plans to have kids, that, that, that has a child, loves them, tells them that they love them. So this is how it starts. This is why I know it's supposed to be like this. This is how it begins. And Jesus says, rising out of the water, to tell us what life is about, honestly. And that this is what life is about, that you would hear this voice, and I mean this literally, not maybe literally, I don't know how you work, but that you would literally feel this, hear this, understand this, that you are God's beloved child, and he's pleased with you. So what is life about? Life for Jesus is primarily about that you connect with that. So what does it mean to have a relationship with God? It means to, to enter into a vulnerable, honest relationship with God as your father. The problem, though, is I don't know about for you, but a lot of that's just talk for me. I'm only beginning, honestly, to experience that in my life. It might be bad for a person that's speaking up here to say, but only taste what it looks like to live in a relationship with God like that. That changes my heart. That changes my life. The, pro- the reason is because if you keep reading that story in Genesis chapter 1, by chapter 3, we talk about this all the time, so I won't talk about it now, the human beings stop trusting God. And they walk away from him as their father, and they begin trusting themselves. They begin doing life a lot of what it looks like today. And what happened was that choice alienated them from God, who is love, and what they did was anti-love. And so it alienated them from God. And so the story tells in this imagery that there is, it's as if they are shut out of a garden where God lives. And they can't find their way back in. It's not that God doesn't want them to, like a good father that wants their children that just ran off. It's that the children can't. And so we have a problem. Jesus here says, and this is the story of Jesus. This is how it connects. Jesus shows us right here what life is to be about. He shows us that we're to enter into an experience like this, that we're to hear the words, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, I'm pleased with you. If you want to know, if I can simplify it down, even all the way down to here where there's, I'm really not saying things that should be said, this is what it's about. That God loves you and he wants you to know. And it's, seriously, it might seem too simple, but that is all we're about. That is what transformation is about, is transformation begins in this place. It begins in a place of me, in vulnerability and honesty, and it doesn't look clean all the time of coming to a place where I can give up everything else. I go into the water to die to my religion, whatever it is. That's the point. We all have religion. We all have faiths. We all have ways that we construct the world and try to please God. Or it has nothing to do with God to you. Maybe it has to do with the way that life is meaningful to you and who you are and where you find your identity. But God wants us to die to that and to rise into this new relationship with God where we're just kids. Which might not seem great, 
But I promise, it makes life so much more simple. And not less. And not less at all. It, it adds so much to life. Because what if you could find a place where you felt whole inside, healed, and the things that happened bless you. The things that happened didn't affect you anymore. And at the same time, you had this relationship with God that will look different for you, but you know it as a place of freedom and rest. The problem is, and that's what Jesus solves, is that how do we get back into that place? So how do we do that? Because I can talk and we can sit and we can go. And how do you do that for yourself? And that's what we want to help you do. That's what I want to be able to help you do just through the lives of the people here. Is how can you have that kind of relationship with God and how, you can, can, how can you connect with him? Jesus tells us later on that he is, and this is a verse that's quoted often, but he's the way, the truth, and the life. What this means is that later in Jesus' life, he, just like John the Baptist, is killed. But Jesus says, and it's reported elsewhere in the Bible all over the place, that his death on the cross broke this kind of separation between God. Just take my word for it. You don't believe it. It's okay. But this is the story. It It broke this alienation separation between us and God. I might go a couple minutes over. Don't worry. It broke this separation between God. It's as if all the things that are wrong in your life Imagine, it just imagine it's true for a second, because it's, it's, now you see why it's good news. Imagine everything that's wrong in your life, not just things you've done wrong, but just wrongness. Things you've done wrong, things wrong done to you, the way you've experienced life as anything. If you've experienced life as anything but loving, but whole, then you understand the Bible talks about the problem of the world, because the world is to look, if you look at the board back there, I don't know what it says, but it's to look like a place filled with love, love everywhere. I don't know what your conception of love is, but love, real love, self-sacrificial love is supposed to be everywhere. And so the world doesn't look like that. Jesus absorbs on the cross all that stuff. He says, I'll take all of that from you. Everything that you think you have to pay for, that's religion. I'll just, I'll absorb it myself. Jesus, God himself, think about that now, says, if you want to know it has not about religion, says, don't try to reach me. I will come down and I will absorb everything that's wrong with the world myself. And all you have to do is just accept that. After he dies on the cross, the story says that he rose again from the dead. And what that means for us practically, why does that matter? Is it means that he has power to live a different life. Jesus conquered everything that's wrong with the world, which is why we have hope that he will change it, which is why I actually have hope and know for certain that he can change your life. I don't know how it looks. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what the issues are. I don't know what you feel and the brokenness, but I know mine and I know that it's happening. And I'm not saying that to say it because honestly, like, I am the last, I don't know how to say this. Like, there's nothing in me that wanted to do this. Well, there, there used to be. And then I almost quit. And then I did quit. And then I said I won't quit. And then <laughs> basically, I didn't want to do this. So I'm not just saying it. Trust me, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. I, would, I have so many other things I'd like to do. But I believe it because it's doing something to me. Jesus rose from the dead, and what it does is it gives us hope that he can change your life, that he will. That we're not just talking, like, it will feel like that, we're just talking about a guy in a book. But we actually believe he's living, that's the weird part. That he can change your life, and then he can change the city, which is why we have hope for very complicated issues, like missing and murdered indigenous women. Well, we know nothing about that, but I know God can do something about it. It's not because of us. I just want to be with him when he does it. I want to see him do it. And so... The invitation is Jesus saying, coming back to that, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way to what? Let's just talk about that. We'll talk about that one word and I'll end. The way to what? 
The way, he's the way back into the garden. That's what he's saying. He's the way back into a relationship with God. He's the way, because we can't do it. I can talk all day how beautiful it is, but the truth is that it's really, it is impossible to do. This is, all of this stuff I'm talking about is about giving up. It's not about doing. That's why it's not about right and wrong. It's not about doing. You had enough doing. You know, we've had enough doing in life. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. This is about giving up and letting God do something. And so what it is, is accepting what Jesus has done for you. And if you consider yourself a Christian today, this is still for you. And if you don't, I'm inviting you to make this yours. To, to enter in and accept that what Jesus did for you is an invitation back into a relationship with God that looks like this. It looks like you living life as a son or a daughter at peace. He takes care of everything. And it will not solve all of your problems. This is what I'm saying. It will not solve all your practical problems, but it will change your life from the inside, and that will begin to change things. But it, like Angelica, if you heard her story, it's a long story, actually. It's years and years long, and it, and it doesn't change overnight. It might for you, but it didn't for her. It hasn't for me, but it will change. Maybe it will overnight. I don't know what God does. You guys can come back up. I moved everything, but I'll let them do it. I hope that's, I hope that's okay. I, I left a bunch of stuff out for you. But I want to invite you. As they play, they're going to play one more song. Elena's going to come up here and give us two little announcements, things to remember as we go. And then uh, you're free to go. Um, I want to invite you today. I'm going to pray for a moment. They're going to play one more song. Uh, they might ask you to stand up. If they do, you can stand up. You're not obligated to do anything. Uh, but right now, I'd just like you to enter into a place of prayer. What that means is you can close your eyes. You can sit there. If you don't pray, you can just listen to me. Uh, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to just lead you in two prayers. What that means is there is no magic. Okay? There's no magic to what I'm doing. There is no magic words you say. To have a, if you're a Christian or not, I'm going to give two options. If you think I have a relationship with Jesus, you know what that means. I have a relationship with God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that God would become real to you, intimate to you. That he would break through and, and, and find his way into your heart in a way that it, is, it would be life to you. Because I know for many people, for me, often Christianity or my faith or Jesus, it's, it's not life. It's confusing. And there's been many times in my life in which I didn't want to be. I wasn't a Christian all my life, like Angelica tells her story. It was as a teenager. But I went through a period where I didn't want to do that anymore. And for some reason... God took me on a weird journey where I, I ended back up with the fact that it's like I don't want to believe, but I, I mean, I'd be so much happier not believing for some reason. I feel like we have different personality types, and the one that I look up on the internet, mine, are like all the most famous atheists. And if you're not a Christian today, and you, and you don't know, I didn't, you know, I just talked for a few minutes, you don't need to know much, Okay. I don't know what you've heard, but being a Christian is just about, it's about giving up and believing in your heart that what Jesus did was for you. You might not have any answers. I struggle sometimes to believe. Did Jesus really physically rise from the dead? That's what it says. And I, I believe, I tell you, I believe it in my heart. It depends on the day. You know, it's like, I guess, but if, if someone was going to give me a lie detector test, I don't know. You know, how am I supposed? And I think that God understands that. It's an odd thing for a person to try to believe something like that, you know? 
He gets it. But what the invitation is, is if you're not a Christian, as I pray, and if you want to pray along with me, is just to give your heart to God and say, what Jesus did is for me, and I want to have that relationship with you, God. I don't get it. And God doesn't need you to clean up your life. That's not what we're about. He doesn't care. I don't care if you leave here and your life doesn't change today. What he wants is he wants to, he wants to be with you in a place in your heart that he can be your father, that you can be forgiven and loved, and then walk it out. It's a journey, and it will happen over time. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org.